Hey there, everybody, and welcome. This is Dr. Tavo D'Arcy. We're today to discuss leadership. And I'm in the Christian ministry, and I've dealt with many numbers of different styles of Christians in my life. I was raised Baptist, but I wasn't raised poor. We weren't wealthy. We were just, you know, godly, God provided. My parents worked hard. But I never realized that when you get out into America today, along with television ministry byproduct, you know, the, the offshoot and the spillover from television Christian ministry, including great stuff as well as ill stuff, that we have a huge quagmire of who in the world is Jesus now, who is a Christian, and what is a ministry. And when I was age 24, <clears throat> I'd been raised, <clears throat> I'd been raised by my father was a pastor, but he was just like an humble servant leader, so like a Billy Graham style, not a religious, you know, brow beater, Bible thumper, he wasn't racist, and he was a Christian first, Baptist second, that's how I've always been. Our family was like, the way I feel it, if you're sent to any kind of style that believe the Bible and it's good ministry, then it doesn't matter their pedigree, their title, what kind they are, you just have to feel led by the Lord if it's a good fit. I still feel that way. So it wasn't till I got out in my own ministry called public ministry. You know, you get in your own ministry, you have the call. And so that started in the 80s, late 80s, right at the time when the, when the Jim Baker, Jim Swagger, media scandals happened and I was teaching my first Bible study it started off teaching to women back then and then sending a newsletter out praying for and giving a word to the Lord to men and women of senior pastors so now it's a human's ministry to both it's always I've always been sent to the top whether it's the aerobics leader to the mega pastor I'm always sent and that doesn't mean you're received or that you're famous, that you have to be well-known. You just know what your you know, call is by the walking it out. So when I was, after being raised in servant leadership, nobody famous, you know, it was just like down-to-earth approachable. That's what I felt like Jesus was and, you know, wants basically ministry to be approachable and then not, you know, making people have any caste system or superiority or elite and it wasn't till I got out in my own ministry and the years went by that as I was sent at age 24 sitting in a central Virginia church that was half charismatic half Presbyterian at the time after college after being a Jesus person you know just down to earth low-key uh, the Lord spoke to me he gave me the impression that he called me and he said, I want you to study the different kinds of Christians in America and know their doctrine, know their pet peeves, know their red flag buzzwords, know their dress, know their music. And it would be all colors. So it turned out it was, and it turned out to be more tongue talkers than not. Because right when that started, all these moves that are now famous were just trickling down, and it was pretty sane, really sane None of this flamboyance, none of this charlatanism, none of this fake it till you make it ego or make it, you know, money, money, money. And so I was there, but, and I also was there when I noticed in the corner of my eye, you know, the fallout from those media scandals. I never had a call 
to um, give to those people. I just didn't feel it. But I saw people that put them on a pedestal, made heroes out of them, and gave to them, both of them, different ones. And I saw their disappointment. They're really getting hurt. And how accusations started against Christians and teleministries back then. So I was there, and the Lord had put in my heart a scripture. I said, Lord, what's going on with this? And I was just in the grassroots, and he gave me a scripture, Micah 7, 5, which said, Do not put your trust in your neighbor. Do not put your confidence in a guide. Do not put your confidence in the one who lies beside you in your bed. Just put your confidence in the Lord. And I thought back then, I thought, wow, that is the secret. If we all, as leaders, teachers, we all tell people, train people not to put their confidence in us, that we're human, then if somebody fell, they won't get disappointed in the human. They'll just think, you know, we were warned, and they didn't, you know, because immaturity also is part of that, and they, you know, can get bitter. A lot of people fell away. I believe the hardening of America came right starting about then. Mercenary. The mercenary focus. It goes back to me, to 1 Samuel principles. 1 Samuel 1 through about 4, the Eli Templi priesthood, the ego in the carnal fleshly priesthood that, that pressured people for offering for money. And it, they, well, those people slept with the women, Eli's two sons, and Eli did nothing about it. However, the product of the reputation of the ministers, the charlatan ministers, had gotten out and had affected the common people. And the Bible says that in that day, the offering of the Lord was despised. And in my opinion, after all these years, I submit it to you, that starting about that time, when the Jim Baker, and I'm, they have repented to the best of my knowledge... <laughs> Uh, you know, that's their deal. We forgive them, but we move on. We're not thinking of them. We're just thinking of the principle of this type of famous person falling, you know, God forbid, male or female. So it says the offering was despised in that day. Well, you're certainly out in the grassroots where I've been. The offering of the Lord is plenty despised in the whole nation. Now, also in the back of my mind, I did not participate, but I remember because I was in Virginia at the time during all this growth and study and noticing the difference of the effect of TV, both positive and kind and some not so great. I really noticed that looking back when the moral majority started, they called it religious right, they started mixing politics with Jesus and they were all white, pretty much white. Not all, and I'm not trying to say I know all this, but it's to me, it looks like it got confusion and sort of this mixture about really our target and then ability to relate to people that are not just red state or one's kind of person or white. And so that's why I never felt led to join either one because and then when I was in Dallas 15 years I found out <laughs> I found the product of you know all these years of people getting their information not from the Bible the Holy Bible not from loving Christians 
in their family or in you know their neighborhood or even in their area but instead I was being a giant enormous population that was chaotic and dysfunctional probably because of families being raised you know not so great healthily in certain places but then I saw wow the opinion of the non-believer because there are a lot of non-believers and I hit it off I pretty you know I mean I'm not I'm very respectful and I love it I'll be honest I just love it if somebody is not lukewarm no matter what your faith no matter what you believe I want to hear what you got to say I want to know your backstory I want to love you and let me hear from your point of view and my thought is even if they have a different theology which many they do I want to know them and say you know I can still respect you I mean and agree with you I think that would tie in with gay people, LGBT. You can respect them. You should respect anybody. And when I was learning that, well, I'd already always respect anybody all the time anyway, no matter what, because I believe in respecting opens the door for Jesus, just to show him their respect and love and the fear of the Lord. Some of them are afraid of Christians, or they come with a bad, bad backstory of their mama, or a lot of critical or abuse from Christians they you know they say they're Christians that's the whole thing a lot of people have never seen a real Christian that's the issue with most, most people I think that when we were having riots and we're having statues turned over and then they wanted to turn over Jesus's statue a few months ago by some mixed-race reporter and when I heard that from his mouth in his article, I went, I certainly understand you, sir. You have probably never met anybody. And I think it is my opinion that a lot of people with mixed race might have it harder as children. I'm not sure if that's true now, but he was in his 40s. So my heart went out. I thought, this guy, I just relate to you because I've been out in Dallas in the grassroots and I know they're that bad <laughs> even to me as a fellow Christian because there's you know it was just horrible it was a chauvinist misogynist whelp shepherding nightmare and then if you're not famous that was the other thing the other kind was mercenary <laughs> you can't tell you can trust or you're not fancy you're not famous enough no time for you it was a very huge eye-opener about how big a culture can be but that culture is everywhere probably so my heart went out when I would feel the chauvinist spirit <laughs> oh it's one woman a little woman a foolish woman we need to be over them these are all tongue talkers now no Baptists, no black people at all. <laughs> and it only me think, man, I've never been through this. Nobody on the East Coast had done that like that. It was the whelp spirit plus more <laughs> country law and passed down hardcore tough, you know. So what I thought was, I thought if they're doing that white to white, red state to I'm purple state, I can vote. I vote issues, not party, but I'm also really I really get a liberal I really get of all kind black and white because I understand I always watch for people's backstory I try to think now what have they been through what turned them 
and churned them in their life prior to meeting me, I don't want to hurt them again. I want to respect them and let God, you know, I don't want to play with them, beat them down or win. I don't need to. I just want to love them, but show me how to do it, Lord, and respect. So that's all I do. And it's very effective. I mean, you just love people. Let God, the Holy Spirit, open the door if he wants anything said. And, you know, the ball is in his court, in their court, and it's up to them. I'm not going to force anything on anybody. So when I learned the hard way that if someone stares at you, spies you, and thinks they own you, because <laughs> that's their turf-protecting, covering spirit, religious spirit, or they're like, you know, like that. They think you are the evil Jezebel because they've never talked to you. <laughs> they have the false doctrine, the critical scowl, the false doctrine. All it did as a white person getting racially profiled by white people, it made me feel for the black people. <laughs> I thought, now I know how bad racism is. Only a little. I mean, I've never been black, but I can only imagine how bad it is. So it really got me on my soapbox to tell Christians, please, E-O-R-R, -R, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. I mean, really, that's the low bar of really following Jesus and showing his love is to respect all colors, all faiths. And that's the issue. I don't want to own anybody. And I never realized that certain cultures of Christianity in some of these smaller minds, it is like a you're entitled to own somebody. I think, does that come to me? I thought, because it's the deep, deep South. I thought I'd lived in the South of Virginia. No, it was the deep, deep South. It was so different culturally amazing so I thought is this uh, you walk in and they're like distancing or they're they expect you to be under them but no speaking no introduction it's just like now they're she's mine <laughs> I thought oh my gosh this is going way back to the the old country law but what is it slave ownership what is this I felt like a slave owner a piece of property and I, after meeting good old boy ministry and good old boys out there, more per capita than I'd ever been around in my life. <laughs> That's why I really left. Why do I need to be there for that? I looked and I thought, now God is using this to teach me something. And that is to be strong. You have to have a strong side. I'm really pretty quiet. I've always been tame, perhaps too tame. God used some of those instances to make me more forthright about equality and you know respect racism all that in christians but he also said you know you have to have this uh you know <laughs> with all the tough customers you're gonna have to have that business side i call it my drill sergeant ready and you really do you have to do that or else you'll just they'll walk all over you take your every all your stuff <laughs> that's the christians <laughs> true so it made me really like there for the grace of God. And I got out of being a charismatic because of that repeatedly too many things in 2012. So we lived, we love the Holy spirit, but now I train to help the grassroots to help 
you know, let everyone please be ready to give a good, healthy witness to what Jesus, who Jesus is. And you know what? Jesus is not a blonde, white person. He was a Middle Easterner. And I've really grieved at the thought, man, what if Jesus showed up? <laughs> he was like with dark skin. Would, they, would these people, the same crowd, just treat him with great disrespect, demean him? I even wrote an article, I think it was like 2013, it said, if Jesus came to town, and I pictured him getting off the bus stop downtown Dallas with two cardboard suitcases, and he would look like an immigrant, and he would get off, and he would walk through the area, and he'd see how people reacted and respected him or not. And when I'd been around that kind of, hey, you're just a, you know, you're just one to be used, or or uh, you don't look our kind. You're not our. You're a typecast, or you are a easily fooled little woman. Oh my gosh! It only showed me as a prophet, a true prophet, what Jesus people are doing, and also the lay of the land for. Why would anyone want to be a Christian and get saved with that kind of grassroots, that kind of going on? I mean it. If I hadn't have been saved in Dallas before I got there, by knowing my daddy, real Christians, and on the East Coast, many of the ones, even in the Charlotte area, where I am now, Fort Mill, if I hadn't seen healthy, a lot of healthy Christians in ministry before I got to Dallas, after what I saw, and went through personally experienced firsthand on behalf of the body of Christ and the love of Jesus, I went, wow, I would never have known who Jesus was. Why would I want to go? What? Who is he? Because see, now, now we have the TV. We have the portrayal of whatever you want him to be, Jesus. And then there's the group that says, oh yeah, Jesus is only the sweet baby Jesus. He never takes a stand. He's just too cozy and sweet, and he wouldn't hurt a fly. He would never stand up and take a cause and say against social injustice or racism. Oh, no, he's too sweet. So all of those things are out there, plus, the, as we know, the plastic Jesus, the hail fellow well-met surface Jesus, the Santa Claus, the big achiever Jesus, and all that, the cult Jesus. Oh my gosh, the cult Jesus. I'd never been around systems, legalistic, big, mega, certain groups, not all. But I've never seen that until I'd been out there. And it really, after I've been around it too much, just trying to find a church, really, that was what found these things when you're on your discovery around a huge area. Looking for the Holy Spirit is when I found it. And when I left, after all those years, I said, Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? And he said, yeah, they're, they're saying that there's some cults out there and that some are occult. And I believe it. So as a result, I thought, man, I got to get home back to the East Coast. I'm more at home. And I am. I really am. It's more down to earth and more respectful in general, more diverse, but also I feel it's the, uh, really a lot of people up here have really prayed and done their work as a real Christian, the Christian community. It's a very good neighbor quality place in the spirit. I mean, I really, it's amazing. You always find stuff, but it's like so peaceful. It's amazing. 
So I honor the Christians who've prayed because that's what was, I think a lot of that is lacking. Maybe the mistake they don't know, they need to be inter repenting in the, for the church and really acting like Christians and humbling themselves to get along for the move of God. I really do. So we're not into playtime, and that's why I couldn't stick around. I don't play. I'm not playing. And see, this is it. In the days of fame, with all the followers, let's say we got prophet so-and-so and Mrs. Prophet and teacher so-and-so and bishop and apostle and who knows who evangelist, white and black and brown, then because we have had a great freedom to have many people now they're giant mega ministries. We're for all kinds, all colors. But you have to know nobody'd been around in the last 30 years like Paul had never experienced television ministry, you know, and all the effects of culture in Hollywood, packaging, marketing. So we've got to figure that one out. And so what I realized that when you now have the wonderful great top leader Let's say they started a movement, a great healthy movement back in the 80s or the 90s. Now they have fame and they have, you know, followers and we have the marketing of Facebook, the social media type thing, you know. So we have great crowds and hosts of followers. Well, what I didn't know until I went to down to Dallas and once I learned something, I can get it and I'll be able to perceive it anywhere. But I had never been in what I call the mega cult. Now, I'm not saying Jim Jones cult, you know, kill, killing yourself or anything. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It was like people were like such dutiful followers, blessed tribes, but when you go in there and you're not in there, you know, all of them joining and trying to please the top person, they can all have a conformity and their own law within the group. One group can have this style of group, and one could group have that style, and some could be more bowing and scraping to the top person, and some could be legalistic and some not. Some, you know, some accusing. Uh, one of my pet huge doctrinal disagreements based on the difference between a charismatic country person in ministry basically and a denominational which I was and these are both white groups I would talk about I've never heard of anything until I went to the charismatic you know studying along the 20 when I was 24 on and being part of Christian ministry and I was at one point like a word of faith type person when I first got in it I was really assembly of God word of faith vineyard you name it I'm a mixture I really am <laughs> I don't care about all, I just want to know what God's word says and be that, so that's all I want to be. But I had experience growing up that, were, and I'd come from Baptist and Presbyterian and very, you know, Bible scholars. Well, then I was out with the more country and more rural, and that is nothing, no better or worse. It is just an experience. So I was able to brush, you know, know people, and I had never heard till I went to fellowship or be around and amongst some of these ones that had doctrinal differences that are now look back are spirit-filled coming down from the country. Maybe mama taught them their spiritual father, which is the popular phrase. 
those were the words that they really got me. Church hopper. Accusing people of not being under somebody's authority. Accusing. See, this is it. It's not about we're for order. I'm for chain of command and respect. Everybody being respectful. Acting like James 3.17, the wisdom from above that's pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and full of good fruit and without hypocrisy. For respect for everybody. That's me. That's how I act anyway. But I didn't realize that people could watch you never speak to you at all, never interview, never chat with you, never one-to-one -one relate at all because they don't want to, and they will label you and accuse you and judge you and then talk about you to spread the word and alarm people that you are in rebellion and not under authority, that you're not submitted. I never heard of that. That's a Baptists don't do that thing, and Catholics don't do it, I don't think, and black people don't do it. Man, they don't do it like starting a trend of a whole group of ministers that are, you know, pastors of the area. That's what I found. So with that, that false doctrine, because false doctrine accuses, the difference between saying, you know what, that person, Sister Susie, is not going to church, is twofold. It's how you do it. I will assess, oh yeah, I noticed that Sister Susie, Brother Paul, or whoever it is, are not going to church. They're not church members. But there's nothing wrong with noticing. And then, what's the difference? Entitlement. <laughs> it's my business. We are over all people, false teaching. They've got to be submitted because we say so, or they're in rebellion but I researched their doctrine. That's false teaching. It's not in the New Testament. That is not based, that is not valid based on Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, common doctrine. No legalism. God has to tell people, and everyone should be submitted to every part of the Bible, but nobody physically can because we're imperfect. All right. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not fellowship, do not forsake fellowshipping with the saints as some have. That is not to be used as a curse. That is an instruction, a command, but it's not a legalism based on Ephesians 4. So the difference is in our heart. In our pure heart or our fault-finding heart, our legalistic mindset, and that's what I didn't know I would experience Entering into a mind field of playtime. Wow. Keeping your eyes on everybody's business. Needing to know who's over whom. I call it who's over whom. It really is. That kind of doctrine. So I've researched it. That's why I teach, again, you know, I teach true doctrine. You don't accuse. You assess. If it's your business, let's say so-and-so, you've seen them. And you're a minister, you're a Christian, it's your business, and they look like they're in rebellion, then what are you supposed to do? If it is your business, they're, you're, they're in your line of command, they've joined your ministry, they're in your business, they're part of your family, and you have the criteria that's worthy, that's true, then you are to prayerfully go and submit yourself to upfront confrontation in a respectful, polite manner, like James 317 fruit.
which is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Go, make an appointment one-to-one -to, -one to confront lovingly and respectfully, and also humble, meek, Galatians 6, 1. If somebody's in sin, you are to make an appointment, elder, and sit there relating and confront them and correct them gently, respectfully. It says, do it meekly, just in case you yourself will not be tempted by the same sin later. So when I realized I was getting the, wow, I was a litmus test for the sin spire, I would notice I'd watch them. Because I'm very observant. I thought, man, they're gossiping. They're doing, I, I mean, it's just, and they were doing it to so many people. Along the along my way with the Lord, the narrow way, the Lord said, if you see something that happens three times or more that hurts people or hurts his good name, you are to teach on it because I'm showing you, I'm letting you see what I see a lot of it. So I've taught against dishonesty. I've taught against a lot of things, well, shepherding, but I'm also teaching about Phariseeism. You know, Phariseeism, the Pharisees and Jesus, the Pharisees were not fair, you see, because they gossiped, they backbit, they told tales, but they weren't up front and they weren't respectful to Jesus. All right. They wanted to protect, I think, Phariseeism and the love of money in Christianity are related. Because I'd never been around turf protecting ministry as a Baptist. And I'd never been around this spirit of everyone accusing people if you don't go to church, if you're not submitted, and they never speak to you to find out if it's true. The other part, which is ringing in my spirit with empathy for people who live surrounded by this tough trash talk calling people, naming them church hoppers, and then if you have a rural area, let's say of 10 pastors, Christian pastors, they are the only ones you got if you speak in tongues, if they're the speaking in tongues kind or not, and if they all are under Phariseeism, they're all under, every. we are over everybody, which is part of the teachings out there, we're over, we're the gates, we're the apostles in the gates of the city, that's from a C.P. Wagner book, I whelp. Uh, then we want to say that it's a very concern for me, a burden for the name of Jesus and for the new people that think that's what Jesus likes. And for the people who are being attacked, repeatedly lambasted, shamed, accused. And see, it isn't, once the pastors accept this, the head leaders, if they're mega or micro, their people accept it and they're starting to watch and look and rebuke, jump people in public. I got jumped in public more than once during my call just to sit there, be quiet and visit and study the Holy Spirit. That's why, I mean, I've had it three times over t 30 years, but it got my attention of abuse under the name of Jesus Christ and then the people, the people that have done that, or the whelp usually, they're victims. They will, instead of saying, you know, it's let's take some ownership, when people leave, they talk about it and they say, oh, you know, they're just complainers, they're just feeling, you know, they're in rebellion. 
And so it got me studying so much. That's why I teach a lot, because we don't want Jesus' name to be accuser. So Paul has, out of this study, out of the witch watchers, all these types of weird aberrations of the name of First Church Christ following, I realized that we can either role model and resemble as a Christian the accuser, who is in the gender of the male in Garden of Eden, Satan, and also in Revelation 12, 7 through 11, and it says the church was given back power over their tongue not to accuse. <laughs> Revelate, it says they overcame him, the accuser, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They love not their life under death. So why isn't this being taught? Also, where is Ephesians 4? The four doctrines that Paul himself, two-thirds of the New Testament apostle Paul, he said there are four doctrines that you have to believe to be a real Christian. Everything else you're supposed to believe, but God and you, because these are difficult, more for some than others, they have, you have besetting sins. That's my opinion now. So the four doctrines, if you're a real Christian and really saved, it says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father of us all. One Lord, Jesus Christ. All right, there's no other name into heaven except by him. No other name into the Father except by him. That's in the Bible. All right, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, the Christian faith, one baptism, baptism in the water like Jesus was baptized. Jesus Christ was baptized, symbolizing this, you know, he was sinless, but it symbolizes washing away our sins. I'm not calling the Holy Spirit Acts to experiences baptism. People refer to that in different ways. Some is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're talking water. Okay. The last one would be the God, the Father of us all. Well, who is it? That's the eternal creator God. And if he's the God and Father of us all, look how many kinds and colors and styles and energies of people in this world. He must like diversity. He must like, he's an artist. He likes all the different hues and styles that you can ever think of. So we're for God. So I'm against what I'm not for is accusation in ministry. That's really it. And usually people who are accusing are not submitted to confronting, but they're really usually back under the law because they don't know their New Testament. They don't know when the legalism stopped, and they don't know when the James 3.17 relationship fruit E-O-R-R -R, begins. They don't, they don't, they've omitted their relationship verses like Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord for everybody, including families, including uh, spouses in marriage. They've omitted Ephesians 4, walking in meekness and lowliness and long-suffering, endeavoring to keep the bonds of peace together. They don't do that one. They've omitted, we've overcome him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, they love not their life unto death. They've omitted Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace, Jesus, who's broken down every wall of partition to make us both one. And then, a lot of it in our nation, the fear 
of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of the, be the beginning of wisdom. Let me say it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the church. So if the church or the pastors or the followers in the ministry have no fear of the Lord in our nation, if the ministers, the Christians don't, then it's the beginning of what? Let's say it again. If the fear of the Lord, the holy terror of the Lord, is the beginning of real wisdom, then the opposite with no fear of the Lord or just a bare minimum is the beginning of what? Foolishness. And that's what we've got going. So we're trying to stir up thought, provoke thought, even get people a little rankled because part of reproving 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, ironically, at the end of the chapter where God talks about the Friendly Fire Fellowship, I'm going to mention that which is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, from such turn away friendly fire fellowships, right, command. But when you Google, at least I Googled 15 years ago in Dallas, I don't know if it's still on there, but the Merriam-Webster Dictionary said that part of the word reprove in Paul's passage about the Bible, he said the Bible is the inspired word of God, profitable for instruction, for teaching doctrine, for correction, and for reproof, so that the man and woman of God would be thoroughly furnished. All right? So when I Google the word reproof, because that's what I do, and people don't want that, Christianese doesn't want that. It's not known. They don't ever get reproved. They just want to have it their way. <laughs> it's really it. <laughs> that's the standard, all right? So when I did it, because I was accused of not you know, like being contentious, creating mark for contention, just because I, I reprove, <laughs> what does it say? There is such a thing in Jude, the book of Jude, as contending for the faith. That's what this is. This is like Jesus rising up and tossing over a few mammon chasers tables people pleasers tables to stir up their thought that's it all right proverbs 27 verse 6 faithful are the wounds of a friend this isn't all sweet baby jesus you know pie in the sky stuff it's reality it's a reality when you look at a second timothy yes legalist yes dear legalist Paul says in Hebrews 10.25, Pastor, do not forsake fellowshipping with the saints. Command. But it's not legalism. It shouldn't be used to accuse people. If they're legalists, they will use it as an attack or accusation or a fault finder with a scowl, usually a false doctrine. All right. That is why I teach 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, the from such turn away command by Paul of a certain kind and style of fellowship. This is a Christian fellowship, not an agnostic fellowship. This is a Christian fellowship, right? It says, now see, back in the day when I was growing up, I never knew all this stuff. I thought it was for the non-believer in the last days there will be perilous times. Men, humans will be lovers of themselves. I thought, yeah, that sounds like, you know, the Christians aren't going to be like, man, it's about the Christians. <laughs> it's 
scary. Could be both, but I'm talking Christian. I only talk to Christians on this ministry. All right. So when I realized the fruit is a relationship fiasco, it's the fruit of relationships, which is so bad and stinketh in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says, in the last days, it'll be perilous times, even to the pure hearted trying to go to church just to, you know, be friendly and know God because they, it's untrustworthy now. You can't know who you're going to trust. You really don't know if you can trust them or not. And that, I'm saying that after my life experience, especially in the last few years of care, you know, the spirit filled. Not all, thank God. But it's that many, and it's been surely more than three times, and my instructions from the Lord are to teach on it. So there are two from such turn away fellowships. One is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. One is 1 Timothy 6. Five, if they say you're not blessed because you don't have money from such turn away. So there's one to fellowship, command with the saints, Hebrews 10, 25. There are two to say, get out. <laughs> you have a reprieve. You have escape clause. If you've done your best and you've forgiven them, you're not a you know crybaby complainer, but you really feel it in your spirit. All right, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, lovers, boasters of themselves, from such turn away if they say you're you're not blessed because you have no money then that's another one second timothy first timothy six five so we want to be careful what we do and where we go when i was reading led to read about the friendly fire fellowship I had a word of the lord for the christian community the body of christ in 2011 excuse me 2007 about it in 2011, I had another one, and the other one was, it's a seller, it's a buyer's market to the church. When you're in real estate and it's a buyer's market, that means the people who want to buy, it's their feet, they got the upper hand. If it's a seller's market, that means that, hey, they're, they have, they can probably ask a higher price. Well, Back then, I was noticing the friendly fire, you know, a lot of weird stuff. And I thought, man, it's people are not going away. I saw many thousands and tens of thousands, multiplied hundreds of thousands, love to go to church. And then I saw the millions and millions just in Dallas alone that did not want to go. And I was with them. That's when the friendly fire fellowship drove me. All this false teaching and, you know, weird stuff drove me to the Lord. And the Lord said, open your onlinefellowship.us, which is my ministry, and teach from the safety of the wholeness and fear of the Lord of where I sent you, which is through the online, and that was 2015, and my heart went out because I'd been in rural, where people watch your business, know your stuff, I'd been a lot in that for 30 years, but I also lived in the seaport of uh, I'd been in the seaport growing up in my childhood at one point of Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Virginia Cosmopolitan. I'm much happier in a big crowd. So I was in Dallas 15 years, studied around the nation from Florida to Tulsa, uh, all these different places, and been sent to study the body of Christ. So I was not, I was seasoned. And when the Lord showed me the online fellowship, all I could do is think of the many 
many masses yearning to be free. You know, what does it say? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Well, I, all I could picture was the gossiping, the backbiting, the accusing in a local area that makes your life just miserable. And if you're a prophet like myself, you know it because you perceive it. It's just so unnecessary for the name of Jesus. That's where saying it plain speak. I'm talking it's plain. You know, in these days, people are really foggy. There are people, even the leaders are foggy. We live in the, God had given me during my stint in the deportation to Dallas for 15 years. He'd give me plenty of time to analyze and evaluate. And he would give me Isaiah 1 through 10 that the leaders of his own people were blocking his Holy Spirit. That's chapter 10, 27, the Holy Spirit anointing that would make their necks so thick with his anointing that no fierce Assyrian nation could wipe out their culture. But his leaders back in Isaiah 1 through 3 had little G gods. They practiced false religion. They had uh, vanity and, you know, issues. And all that in Isaiah 5.20 had made God's own leaders, not talking to the unsaved, this is God's people, the top leaders, they had made them dull of discerning. In fact, Isaiah the national prophet pronounced a woe. He says, woe to you leaders, you ego elders, you call good evil and evil good. And when I had been around the kind of cultish, occult, by mistake, I didn't know I was getting to the whelp witch watching, and I would be. It used to be I'd go in, and they would that spirit would just let them like rise up. I know for a fact that that is my deliverance ministry. Uh, I had a pastor in 2000 who edited my television show when I was in Virginia. He said, Tavo, he'd been a missionary, he was a Pentecostal. He said, Tavo. Never be afraid if a demon manifests. I went, whoa, why? <laughs> so he said, oh, it's just a sign. If a demon manifests, don't be afraid. It's just a sign it's ready to come out. So when these, when I'd walk to certain kinds that happened to be to study the Holy Spirit and the spirit of prophecy in those moves, if that spirit, whenever that spirit of whelp, Western European Levitical patriarchism, my name for shepherding, that controlling spirit, a seer spirit, all right, when I would walk in, it would react. It could be like a stare, a stern stare, like they're shocked at some evil person. It's horrible. It is just, but see, I do it. God had told me, don't take these things personally. Take it prophetically, because I'm showing you what I see that demeans people, hurts people, causes people not to want to go fellowship with the saints, and it hurts my name as a bad witness. So I just had to, you know, it was not easy and fun or pleasant, but I had to learn. That's why I teach a lot about it and instruct. Also, I teach on the spirit of prophecy without that, and we have our own move of our own kind of move that is for the body of Christ to learn from. And that is what I was given by grace. That is the book of Ephesians. Our, our name brand is Crossbody Unity Book of Ephesians 4. We let everybody do their thing, hear what they want to hear, but we're going to submit. We to train people how to get along in the community, whelp and, non and deliver the whelp. 
The Bible says, deliver us from evil. That is evil. You don't want to be called caught and be called like, you know, Matthew 7, 22 comes to mind, 21. Jesus said, many will say, this is a word of the warning. I've said this many times. I'll say it again. All this people pleasing going on. Matthew 7. 21, 22, 23 says, Jesus said on the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do signs and wonders in your name? Do all these amazing things in your name? And he'll say, out with you. I never knew you. Out with you who work lawlessness. And when I looked up lawlessness, it means false authority. If you're using your authority as a minister falsely to accuse, to resist, to block, to own, to damage, control, to seduce, to whatever you're going to do, mesmerize, manipulate, get that is on the list of false authority. So think about that. In the book of Matthew alone, three big examples of Jesus Christ rebuking his own people, the Father's own people. Those were the leaders, the Pharisees. That's one. Matthew 21 is the other one. When he rises up, no warning, Jesus rose up and he went over at the leading of his Father and tossed over the religious system money tables, t-shirt tables. All right. Matthew 23 is when Jesus Christ has a whole chapter of red-letter rebuke openly, not PC, not dulled down, not tame, but openly in front of the multitudes and his disciples, and he really lets the Pharisees have it. And you can read that. One of those teachings at the end of Matthew 23 is tied in with the crowds that are into who's watching everybody, legalism about their church hoppers, they're not submitted. They're not under covering. You know, in the Bible, I've researched it. There's no such thing as covering except for the New Testament verse, God's love covers a multitude of sins. That would include ignorant behavior and omissions and dumb stuff as well. Accusing people. All right. However, there is Bible chain of command, and I'm for that. Order, chain of command, respect for all boundaries. I love God's people, and I only want to have order, but not dominate people or be dominated. So because people are really quoting scripture, like, to get what they want, they're really quoting it. Boy, you, that's what made me so, <laughs> I guess I had to grow sharp down in Dallas. They were out, fox. they're trying to fox me and twist it around and manipulate the scripture to get with the, you know, it's really weird how good they are, how articulate with, with scripture to get what they want their own way. So I realized that, especially when you got to, when I tried somebody, three different groups in my first couple of years there, I didn't realize the huge amount of dishonesty that in this grassroots middle-aged, really, these were middle-aged, basically, uh, white I'm sure they're black, but I only met white ones that were spirit-filled, and they were cons. And I had to, how do I say this? I respect the top authority because I met this, the one I'm going to mention, I met 
this group where I loaned a piano to a bunch of pastors that were seasoned pastors, smaller pastors in the grassroots. And I said, you either can keep it and give me a tax write-off or return it. So they took it out, the $1,200 Korg stand-up piano, electric piano. So I, it came around for the receipt to be needed for taxes, and I didn't get one. So I just called them up and said, you know, I'd like the piano back or the receipt. Well, they avoided my call. They would never let me speak to them. So my Bible says, I do believe the Bible, and I submit to all of it as best I can. And Matthew 18, 15 says that you are to confront somebody. So I did my best to try to get through to confront them politely, respectfully, but they hid. So they were manipulating, conning me. So I go over to their oversight, who is invited me to meet these people, at a pastor's gathering under a famous preacher and the famous preacher I don't think he has you know they wouldn't do anything like that but they don't know what goes on under their watch so I was went to the you know the Bible says if they will not be confronted go take somebody with you so I went to enlist the people who invited me to this group this ministers group well this is how I learned the hard way I had to write an email because everybody's busy, it's far apart out there. So I wrote, would you help me? This is what happened. They won't return the, the, um, the keyboard, the big piano. So when I did, you could tell that they were busy. That's the big deal out there, being busy. So they wrote back and they said, just forgive him. You need to forgive him and move on. And what I read was, that person didn't know their Bible. A couple of things. They didn't respect a woman. They didn't respect a person, a peer. They didn't respect a relationship. They didn't know their Bible. That I was only acting in the Bible. Instead, the tone of the letter was put upon like you're not sweet it was like accusing you're not sweet like baby Jesus you need to forgive me. it's your fault you're in sin because you're not forgiving them and then I heard that over again a couple of different you know through the next couple of years the Lord allowed me to bump into that kind of folk and I teach on it because I thought this is what they do they have only heard certain kinds of teachings and styles but their relationship respect is dismal. When If I go in, let's say, as a test case, not knowing I'm going to enter into it, I don't look for it, but it, when it happens, I, I observe it. So I think, wow, I walked in and they did that? I'm an elder? I'm a peer? I'm a stranger? I'm an alien? I'm an angel unaware? I'm respectful? I'm a female, I'm a mother in Christ, I'm all five offices. They're that bad, and they are. Many, many of them are that bad. No respect at all, no respect and no fear of the Lord, no humility. And when I found it over and over and would seek other groups to fellowship with, it was a prison house of this in a huge, wide, white, whelp, basically, 
subculture, and that's why I teach on it. Now, I can go to Welp Around the Nation. That, to me, was probably the most valuable for me to experience because it was the worst. I have never been in anything that toxic and caustic and disrespectful in our nation. I'd been to Florida many times, many places. I'd been to Virginia and Charlotte and South Carolina and Alabama and Tulsa and Missouri and Pennsylvania. I'd been a lot of places. I had never, ever seen or witnessed anything like that. It was a scary sign for our nation because I realized, you know, if I saw that much of it as a subculture, a human subculture, a willing, working, skilled, and artful subculture, wow, that's how big it is. And yet I'd seen some of that in the corner of my eye in different pockets. There's smaller groups of that, but it's there. So we're not putting, we're putting everyone, I guess you'd say, on notice to let's work on ourselves. You know what the Bible teaches me? It says, work out your own salvation. That's part of it. That's why I believe that the word of Paul, who's my mentor, in Ephesians 4 that says there are the four common doctrine, everything else you can't, you sh you're supposed to do it and submit to it, but yet it's not legalism. You shouldn't accuse somebody if they don't do it or you feel accused if you fail. Just try, you know, the good man falls seven times, 50 times, gets up again. Good woman too. So you're doing that your best, but then you got all these other people and they're their doctrines. And this is why I'm teaching this kind of needed doctrine that can help maybe get more people back in the sanctuaries. One reason I feel very, I love fellowshipping with the saints. I want to make it our goal to say, instead of I've got to, you know, legalism makes people, the more people are legalists about going to church. It's just the old psychological thing. It's like, Oh, do I have to go to church? You know, we got to go to church. Oh my gosh, we got to go to church. That's the law. That's the fruit of mama saying, you're not going to, you know, you're going to burn in hell. Or somebody, the pastor saying, you're going to burn in hell if you don't go to church. So that's in the psyche of the American public, basically, the guilt conscious. That's the law. I want to make it like, I don't have to go to church because it's not legalistic. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 10.25 is not legalistic. Based on Ephesians 4, I'm not going to be flaky. I want to go, but with me, I always want to go. I just didn't like being accused and witch watch. I do not like false doctrine. That's why I left. That's why we all left, a lot of us. But if you can take the accusation, the what is the word malignment that destroys people's reputations and ability to trust out? Hey, maybe we'll all go back. I'm going where I can say I really love going. I really love going. I truly love going where I'm going. I'm going because I believe a senior leader should be able to fellowship with other groups as part of the community. Always have. Visiting with the relatives. All right, so it helps me take a break from my work. And I enjoy 
being helping and whatever I'm supposed to do there. What I am watchful for and I'm skilled at now, I cannot, I'm a whelp detector. If that whelp is there, I won't be there. <laughs> it's an anti-woman spirit. It really is an anti-woman slave. It wants to own. So I, I'm very careful of where I sit, who I sit around and where I attend because my spirit is very prophetic and my spirit is very sensitive because I have a lot of experience being graced to do this for so long. Therefore, I can tell if a witch-watching anti-vibe is there or if there, which is false doctrine. That just means the people are off. Why do I want to go and get my... Because see, if you're in false doctrine, it's like you're taking a bath. All right, you're entering into their doctrinal bath waters. You want to go where there's beautiful music, you get the word of the Lord, they're sort of intelligent. You want to go, but if it's healthy bath water, that's what you got. But if it's not all healthy doctrinal bath water, if they've got competition, judging, accusing, false witness, whelp, all these types of things, bigotry, bias, chauvinism, you know, poor me, fix them, don't relate, put them in the fix them fast course, pop psychology, instead of loving them like Jesus, you know, spent time uh, weeping with those who weep, that type of If they're formulas, whatever, you don't want to go because you're not going to get just what you thought you were signing on to, which is the worship and the good word and the nice friendly faces who may be friendly for a while, but maybe you're going to get, and you didn't know it, maybe you need to know that there could be a friendly fire fellowship. All right? And you don't want to be there because it will come down into your family on you as this, in the spirit and it might affect your children as well so that's accusation another thing is when I've studied when God had me study the spirit of prophecy where a lot of the whelp is this far off accusation is false teaching in a middle a lot of really good stuff I admit they are really got good stuff a lot of it but that isn't worth suffering or being scanned and never spoken to. That is not worth having a cult spirit and being maligned and gossiped about and not respected, is it? What do you think? So if you're with a Friendly Fire Fellowship, don't go. But when I studied prophecy, how it's represented in America today, these were white, I many times with all that I've said today, I studied, well, do they really, have they ever read the Bible about Jesus? Would he do this? That's our secret. So my, what has come out of this, where I've sent for the last 20 years, especially prophecy, has resulted in what God has given me, wanted me to have it, is the, it is the abiding relationship theology, relationshiptheology.org. It's abiding in James 317 relationship Theology, that means everybody's criteria is the top priority is relationship, respect, men and women in our land for our Christian community. Respect will do away with all bias in ministry. Respect will bring back the ability to trust because you know you're not going to be gossiped about behind your back, fault-finded. All right. And when I reprove, I know backbite, I'm telling you straight. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let's put it that way.
So I studied the spirit of prophecy. Now, in my rela- in the, God's mercy on this, he's, he taught me, really, it's been God's grace. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 is the office of the prophet in the New Testament sense. All right, it says, verse 1, Hebrews 1, 1, In the old days God spoke t- to his people in diverse manners through the prophets. That's Old Testament with all the prophets you've heard about. They were more, you know, calling down fire, warning the people. They were more craggy. I figured, you know, I pictured like signs and wonders. All the prophets were spoken, were used by God, the oracles, because nobody could invite Jesus in their heart, a savior at the time, and have the Holy Spirit help them to hear God and, you know, like we do now. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 make a difference. The office of the prophet in New Testament is this, verse 2. But these days, it says, God speaks to us through his son, through the office prophet of his son, and his son has the character of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. It said that one day God would send his the prophet, which would be the Messiah, and it would be, he would be filled with all seven spirits, the spirit of counsel, might, fear of the Lord, spirit of the Lord, wisdom, all those things. All right. God would send his Messiah. He'd be filled with all of God's seven spirits, and he would delight himself in the fear of the Lord. It would make him sharp of discerning. That's Isaiah eleven three. And it said, but he would not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor make decisions based on what he heard. So the prophet, the New Testament prophet God wants us to resemble, is Christ, the Messiah, who would not accuse or judge by the sight of his eyes. Sort of label people, stare at them, never, you know, he would relate, he would love them and be more fun to be around, frankly, wouldn't be ornery. He would not believe the evil report. He wouldn't accept gossip or gossip because it said he would not base on what he heard. He would not base his decisions on what he'd heard. And that's what we really want to say to some of these clueless prophets that are calling themselves a prophet in the name of Jesus in the New Testament. If I were to look at Jesus as the prophet, the Messiah prophet, I'd have to say, besides Isaiah 11, 2, and 3, that he would be like Revelation 19:10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How did Jesus act and react? That's his testimony. I'm not saying I deny that it could be a word of the Lord, but when you want to know his testimony, what Jesus was like in his nature... A good way of doing it is our relationship theology teaching is that you get out your Bible. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels, the good news, when Jesus Christ was alive on the earth prior to his suffering and crucifixion and resurrection. We read, we're going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single relationship Jesus had in ministry with his mother Mary, the suffering saints, the fallen women, this, all these, the little children, no matter who. And just look and evaluate 
how Jesus acted and reacted in every relationship, and then you act the same. That's the office prophet. That's his testimony, basically. All right, see what he said and how he said it. He didn't devalue a person, a soul. He wasn't bigoted, biased, misogynist, or chauvinist. He respected his mother, Mary. The only people he got fed up with was the Pharisees, the tightly clannish, cliquish system of his own father's house. So we teach the office prophet like Jesus, Acts 10.38. Jesus Christ went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, and the Lord was with him. Said Jesus went about relating, equal opportunity respectfully relating, all those who were oppressed by the devil, all right? He didn't oppress them, suppress, suppress them, control them, be the big boss and owner. No, it were human nature to do that. So that's why I state all these things, is to really get some stir in the thought of the community of Christ following in ministry. Who are we really saying is Jesus Christ? Who are we representing in our ministry? What kind of authority are we really using and under? And is it pure authority? Nobody wants us to be caught on the last day and have Jesus say to you or me. I mean, really. You want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And you don't want to be shocked and fooled by thinking that's going to happen when really you're in false authority. You're in rebellious to the word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. And you don't want it to be a case of Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Depart from me, you, I never knew you, you who practice false authority. You know, amongst the Jezebel spires and all those doctrines, a lot of talk on witchcraft made me study what is witchcraft. Why are they so scared? It's just a human poor human going to the wrong power source and bringing it to a higher art but they're doing it too too many of them because i looked it up in second let's see it's either i think it's second timothy second samuel 15:23 first or second samuel 15:23 it says rebellion any rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft that means christian rebellion Ministry rebellion, family rebellion, that could mean manipulating rebellion, opposing unjustly, accusing, character assassinating rebellion. It could mean false teaching that you are willing to keep on going, you're not, you know, reproving yourself. It could mean a million things that fall under rebellion. It isn't only about authority. If you are not submitted to God's whole counsel and you teach that all these people are not submitted and they're in rebellion and you're gossiping, you're in rebellion yourself, but you're not confronting them. Matthew 18, 15, 16, and Galatians 6, 1. If I had a Jezebel spire, spooky Jezebel spire, whelp, make their little minds up that I was one, or I am one, and they never confront me, then they're not not—they're out of order because they're dull of discerning, calling good evil and evil good because I'm sitting there in plain, easily open, talk to me. I'm here to talk if you want to. 
but they're doing it to many people. That's why I mentioned it in personal. But they themselves don't even know about the Church of Thyatira principle. The Church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, God rebukes the head leader, lampstand pastor, mature pastor. He says, why are you tolerating that Jezebel? So therefore, if they see anyone they think is a Jezebel, who really is a Jezebel, it is their duty to walk over respectfully, up front, confront if they're in sin, send them out. Set them down. If it is they're scared, then they are to Matthew 18, 15, and 16, take somebody with them. So all I'm talking, all I'm sharing are missing scriptures that nobody knows. Nobody wants to know. Nobody cares to know because they really don't want. A lot of these people don't want relationships they just want more, <laughs> more stuff, more income, more. And to me, the more they preach that somebody is a false prophet, the more they preach that somebody is a Jezebel, the more they preach that people are out of control and in rebellion. You know what? I have noticed that those people are in rebellion, are the witchcraft, and are operating under witchcraft, and are in a Jezebel spirit, the whelp. So this is why I try to put this out there to stir it up, but also to warn them. God is moving. He is not settling for what he used to. This is a new move of God. He's going to bring, he has brought judgment. He's going to continue to bring it. Anyway, this is Dr. Tavo DRC, and we're signing off for now. God is good. His mercy endures. If you need prayer covering, that's my gift. I will pray for six months two months i'll have your name on my prayer list to pray covering over your back it is a pleasant thing to pray for you that before dallas i actually did have a real ministry which we're trying to get back up on land again but i had a prayer ministry for years 15 years a newsletter and i was known you know like i was known in the area wide area and i was a teammate with the body of christ so what i am for your, you know, for your knowledge, is we are for the body, the teammate. And therefore, we have our university, teammateu.com. And we believe that everybody needs to hear God for themselves. We submit what I say to you everywhere I teach. It's a submitted sila, not hardcore dogma. Because there's too much in the atmosphere in the world today to figure it out you got to hear God for yourself. Be the noble Berean that would make Apostle Paul proud. Well, i got to go. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. God bless you. He loves you. If you need to connect, just write me at dfwleader at gmail.com. dfwleader at gmail.com. God bless you. Bye-bye.